O Lord, prepare us for the beauty and the wonder of new life in Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Have you ever wondered why, for some people, faith is the foundation of their lives, and for others it's barely a passing thought? It's a question I think about often. Why are Christians in Iraq willing to risk their lives to gather for Sunday worship, while sometimes American Christians don't think twice about skipping church if the weather is nice and the law needs to get mowed? Why do some give thousands of dollars each year to support the ministries of St. Luke's and others only give a hundred or two, if anything? Why do some people find church to be the most beautiful, stirring, and majestic experience all week, while others find it to be pedantic, irrelevant, and boring? Or in terms of our identity statement, why does Christ make all the difference for some people and to others, it seems that there's hardly a difference at all. Well, speaking in very broad terms, there are two reasons that people fail to come and see the difference that Christ makes. The first is that the faith is not understood or articulated in a way that makes it compelling. Perhaps the greatest sin that we commit as a people of faith is being boring, hiding the light of faith under a bushel, of not being ready to give an account of the hope that is in us. And here's the thing, Christianity is not about what happens only after we die. That's far too abstract and distant for most people to care about. For goodness sakes, we know what the climate crisis is already leading to, and we as a people are not willing to make many changes about that. So why do we think anyone's going to be compelled by something that's even further out than that? on the other side of the grave. Nor is Christianity about finding your inner peace. That may well happen, and it's lovely when it does, but meditative breathing or yoga will do just as much to lower your blood pressure. And certainly Christianity is not about making us into nicer or better people. If that were the case, we would not open our liturgy with a confession of sin. Neither is our faith about God showering us with blessings and happiness, because if that were true, then people like Martin Luther King, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Oscar Romero, and Jonathan Daniels would not have been killed on account of their faith. Instead, our faith is in a God who calls us to die to self, and then who raises the dead. And too often we miss this. We make faith about things that it is not, and we set goals for faith that is actually contrary to it. And so the faith becomes unintelligible to those inside the church and unattractive to those outside of it. That is the first reason that faith can be rejected. It is grossly misunderstood and misrepresented. It would be like someone who buys lottery tickets every week, saying they do it because they care so much about public education and they don't really want the winnings. Too often, our faith is made no more compelling than that line of thinking. The other reason why faith is pushed off to the side is that we understand exactly what it is all about. And we are not ready to pay that price. 
like the wealthy man who Jesus tells to go and sell all of his possessions, but instead walks away from the call to discipleship. Perhaps you've heard the quote from Bonhoeffer, when Christ calls us, he bids us come and die. We've heard Jesus say that we cannot serve God and wealth. We've all sung that hymn, take up your cross. But deep down, we have no intention of doing so. We might know that God brings the dead to life, but we'd rather not do the whole dead part of it. We'd rather make our own story than be a part of God's story. We would prefer to set our own priorities instead of living by someone else's. We do not like words such as obedience, forgiveness, or generosity because they ask far too much of us. As one writer has put it, it is not so much that Christianity has been tried and found wanting, it has been found difficult and left untried. This is the second reason for people not finding the difference that Christ makes. Simply put, we don't want to be different. Even if things are not perfect, we much prefer stability, predictability, homeostasis. Say your prayers, they tell us. Just don't rock the boat. And we can see all of these dynamics playing out in today's scripture readings. As I've been mentioning throughout Lent, the theme of death is present in all of the readings, as is the fact that God brings new life to those dead situations. The trick is, it's not possible to have new life if we don't give up on the old. As we heard the prophet Isaiah say, do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. God reframes what is possible and what is reasonable which means we have to give up on what we thought was true. The reading from John opens with Jesus at the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. You'll remember that Lazarus died. He was buried in a tomb. And then Jesus came and called to him, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. Here's that theme of death. Lazarus was dead and in the grave. And yet God raised him up. If God can do that, what else is possible that God might be up to? Though we have little evidence to suggest that it is possible anymore, bipartisanship could actually happen. Through God's grace and mercy, those in addiction find sobriety. Those stuck in hatred find forgiveness. Those addicted to money have found generosity. Former KKK members have become advocates for racial healing. Those in despair find hope. God's story of redemption is as old as time. And yet we either tell the story so poorly that no one listens, or we refuse to admit that we need to be redeemed, saying, I'm fine as it is. But Isaiah tells us that God is afoot, that God is doing a new thing. And I just can't help but wondering what new thing that God is ushering in that I am blind to, either in my ignorance or willfully. I am not sure how exactly, but God is using this pandemic to do something new in the church. 
A lot has died, literally and metaphorically, in this pandemic. Rhythms were disrupted, traditions stopped, priorities shifted, patterns changed. We have all experienced a tremendous loss in these past two years. And I am not saying that God caused any of those deaths, but I am confident that God is going to bring new life out of them. Now, trust me, I am a traditionalist, and if it ain't broke, don't fix it sort of person. Though I am in the resurrection business, there are some things that I absolutely do not want to die. There are some things I would much rather keep on life support than find out what new things God might have in store. Because even though God does bring new life, there is always a death that comes first, meaning that there is grieving to do. And grief involves pain, and we don't like pain. So we avoid the grieving, we resist and deny the death, and we miss out on the new life that God is giving to us. All this is to say that things are going to change when God is involved. And I truly have no ulterior motive this morning. I do not have any particular changes in mind for St. Luke's. But I am confident that God does. We have not achieved the perfect vision of God's plan on earth as it is in heaven. So I preach to myself as much as I do to anyone else. When God is bringing new life, let's not insist on propping up what is dead. If Mary and Martha had refused to accept the fact that their brother Lazarus had died, then it would have been impossible for them to recognize this gift of when Jesus raised him up. The inverse is also true. Not only does God bring life to the dead, but sometimes there are things that are alive that need to die so that resurrection can come. Case in point, Jesus. Mary takes a pound of pure nard, a burial ointment, and slathers it on Jesus' feet, as you would do to a corpse. This is a seemingly extravagant and irrational thing to do, because for one, the value of a pound of perfume was roughly equal to a year's wages, about $25,000 in our terms. And not to overstate the obvious, but Jesus is not yet a corpse. Judas is an example of us all, when we are unable to see what is right in front of us. We don't see the difference that Christ is making. And sometimes that's a failure because we have not attuned ourselves to see the difference. Sometimes it's because we're so busy focusing on other things that we are blinded from seeing the difference. John parenthetically says that this was Judas' problem. He thought of everything in terms of dollars and cents of returns on investments, of cost-benefit analyses, which prevented him from seeing the abundant grace of God right in front of him. Judas was unwilling or unable because of sin to see things differently. I'm reading a book right now that is both fascinating and challenging. It's called Thinking. Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, an Israeli-American Nobel Prize winning psychologist and economist. 
Essentially, the book points out the fact that none of us know what we are doing. And even when we think that we are being logical and unbiased, we are easily and often influenced and skewed in ways that we are completely unaware of. We might think that we're doing the right thing and making all the right arguments, such as saying that the money should have been used to give to the poor instead of anointing a living man's feet with burial spices. But just because we think that we are on the right side of things does not mean that we are. And this is why we need scripture and the church to hold us accountable to God's word instead of the logic of the world. This is what St. Paul is getting at in his letter to the Philippians. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Coming and seeing the difference that Christ makes takes an intentional rethinking of our assumptions, values, commitments, and priorities. And we cannot do that alone. We need a beloved community that creates a safe space for us to try this out and make mistakes. We need a beloved community that holds us accountable so that we don't start to rationalize our deadness as normal. We need a beloved community that through scripture and sacraments holds up a vision of this difference that Christ makes. We have grown so accustomed to the death that surrounds us that new life can seem like an unsettling, scary, or impossible proposition. Some cannot fathom new life because our witness to it is so weak. And others do not want new life because it would mean giving up too much, even if it's all dead weight. The difference Christ makes is a life worth dying for. And the grace of receiving new and abundant life after that death. How do you need God to bring new life to the dead places in your life and in our world? Where do you need God's comfort in grieving what has been lost? What do you need God's help in letting to die so that new life can begin? Pray about these things this week. And don't be surprised when you start to see the difference Christ makes as Isaiah prepares us for it. God is about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? <laughs>